Good morning. Welcome to the Firehouse. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. We're excited to have you today. I'm going to have to contradict one of Jeff's announcements, though. He told you all to sign up for that Firehouse 5K. I hear there's six people signed up. Two of them are my wife Sarah and I. If none of you sign up, our odds on prizes are very good. So we're hoping for a few free date nights or something out of the gift cards. So if none of you sign up, we might both win. And we might win our age brackets, too. I don't know how that goes. Maybe it'll be harder than that. No, we're, we're getting in the... Right. Am I back on? Okay. So, like I said, for the 5K, Sarah's been training on a little bit. She's been getting ready for it. I haven't been. She might beat me by a lot, but I'm hoping I can uh, still be okay on the 5K. But we're getting excited to do that. So, that's coming up. And we're excited. Um, this morning... We've been doing this Believe series, so uh, hopefully you've been with us for a lot of it. If you haven't, we're on the final week. We went through all the miracles in John, and we're talking about this morning the greatest miracle. Um, Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word here. God, we thank you for this morning. We we just thank you for the chance to be together. We thank you um, just for the worship. We thank you for this fellowship together. God, we pray that you'd speak to each of us. Speak to our hearts. Speak to us with your word. Just pray that I'd be able to get out of the way. God, what would come through is your word, your truth, and your heart, your heart for people. Um, we just pray that would come through in the greatest miracles. We recap the work you did and what that accomplished. And we just pray you bless and redeem this morning. Amen. All right. Well, you can turn to John 20 in your Bible in front of you. It should be on page 1075. And you may, I'll be in and out of there. You may just keep a hand in there, even if I trip go away for a little while. John 20. So this whole series really stem from one verse in the Gospel of John. We shared it at the start of the series, and we'll start our time today with that verse to frame the time. So John 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. The miracles were recorded in this Gospel so you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you would have an abundant and eternal life stemming from that belief. Not a desperate and guilty life. The author Henry David Thoreau said, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I agree with him. There's a desperation as it relates to eternity. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. His purpose in coming was to give an abundant and eternal life. And the greatest miracle ever recorded in John is that Jesus rose from the grave to conquer death and give us that life. I don't know about you, but I've been in a place that felt more like a desert before. I remember being a young teenager, and many things were on my mind at that time of life. I was concerned about trying to pass my classes, 
as many people do at that age. I wondered if I would ever get a girlfriend. I went out for the football team and played defensive end on the ever-important eighth grade team. Where would I go to college? I wondered if I would ever get to the end of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and get to punch out Mike Tyson on Nintendo. I know some of you played that, but who one of you? But increasingly, it became a problem in my life that I couldn't ignore. Somewhere along the way, my mortality set in. It hit me that one day I would die. However morbid this might have been for an adolescent, if it was, um, it was very real, and it started to fill my mind. And my thoughts started to wander to what would happen after I died. It's not surprising the Bible says we should one day face this. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has placed eternity on the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. I had heard about heaven and hell. I had heard that if you did enough good things, you'd go to heaven. If you did enough bad things, you'd go to hell. But I had another problem. And it got even worse. I wasn't a good person. I remember that one time I went over to my friend's house and he had, I'm going to date myself again, but he had Magic the Gathering cards, kind of fantasy playing cards. And he had them in one of those binders that you used to flip through and put all your cards in so you could view them. You might have had them for your baseball cards. They might be on an iPhone now, I'm not sure, but back then we had cards. Anyway, I was over to a friend's house and he showed me these cards and he went through and he pointed out which ones were valuable and which ones were pretty common. And he went to the bathroom at some point when I was over there playing and stepped out of the room. And when he wasn't looking, I, I took the ones he said were the most valuable and stuck them in my pocket. I swiped them from him. I was a thief. It wasn't good. And it wasn't just that. I dishonored my parents. I lied to them all the time. I talked back. I made a point of not obeying. Um, I'd seen um, just, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff goes on. You know, there was images I'd seen that were pornographic. I was angry at times. I'd gotten in fights at school. Sometimes I felt like I could relate with David in Psalm 51 when he said, For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I felt like that. I realized that if I was judged on what I had done, that I would go to hell. And I remember being up late at night, all alone in my room, in the dark, and crying, because I realized that that was my fate. Like David said, my sin haunted me. And Scripture backed up what I was going through. As I look now... Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in that boat. We all have sinned. I'm going to do a quick test. We're going to, we're going to do a little raise of hands test here. And look at the Ten Commandments and see how we've done. See if you're any better than I am. We'll just look at a few of them. I want you to be very honest with me. Have you ever lied? Just raise your hand if you have. I have. It looks like most of you. Good. Well, that's one of the Ten Commandments. God said, Thou shalt not lie. And if you do that, that makes you a liar. 
We'll do another test. I just shared that I'd done this. Have you ever stolen something? Even if it's small, even if it's on a computer somehow and it's music, it's like most of you. And maybe a few more hands. You know, back when I was younger, you had to actually go to the store to steal something. It's a little easier now. I did that too, though. Have you ever gotten angry at someone and real mad and wanted to get in a fight? I shared that I'd done that one too. Yeah, it looks like most of you. You know, Jesus said that if you're angry at your brother in your heart, that's the same as murder. That's not good. It's another one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. So we just looked at just a few of the Ten Commandments, and it didn't go so hot for us. The first point today is that we need to understand the seriousness of our problem. Now, I remember a few years back, I started to get sick. I had a really bad cough. I had a fever, and I just felt awful. But I didn't want to go to the doctor. Don't tell my wife. She's a nurse practitioner, but I never really liked doctors. So when I got sick, I just banked that if I rested long enough and waited, I'd eventually get better. If I ignored it, it'd just go away. But I started to miss work because I was coughing so badly and I was fevering and dizzy and couldn't really go in anymore. And I remember one morning I started coughing so bad that blood started coming up. And so I got a little worried. So my mother's a nurse, so I called her and I kind of was explaining what was going on and trying to get off the hook, maybe be okay. She told me to stop being silly and get myself to the doctor that day. That wasn't good, but I still wasn't convinced, so I wasn't dating Sarah yet. It was a few years back, but she was still the church nurse, so I called her and kind of explained my symptoms again, hoping for a better, uh, a better opinion. Maybe I didn't need to go to the doctor. Unfortunately, she said I needed to go to the doctor too, so I had to suck it up. <laughs> Bad. So I went I went into the Kaiser Clinic. I think it was a Saturday. I don't know if any of you are at Kaiser, but if you go into the clinic, you get in this big room, and there's like 60 people out in the waiting area, and they're all elderly and sick, and you walk on in. So I go up and get a number and sit down. And eventually they call me up, and there's a lady on the computer, and she's talking through my symptoms and tell her about the fever and the coughing up blood and all that. And she's a little concerned, so she gets up and she talks to the nurse behind the desk there while I'm still standing there. They have a little conference, and apparently they decided it wasn't good. So I learned something about Kaiser. They have a second waiting room for the really sick people. So they send me to a different waiting room. This waiting room only has about six people, and they look not so hot. They are pretty sick. So I sit down in that waiting room and wait again. Now they call me up to the front of that waiting room, and I tell them what's going on. There's a lady again. I think she's maybe taking more notes on top of the one the first one did. And when she hears it, she again gets up, walks back, talks to the nurse. This time the nurse comes up and talks to me, and she gives me a mask. And she has me put it on to sit back down so I don't infect people in the really sick waiting room. So at this point I'm getting a little worried. Might be pretty serious, so I sit down. And as people can, without making a scene, they get to the other side of the really sick people waiting room so that I don't infect them. So eventually I go in to see the doctor, and they run a few tests. 
I think they might have been worried that I had tuberculosis and they were trying to sort that out. Fortunately, the test came back negative, which just meant I was really sick and had the flu. So they prescribed a whole bunch of medicine and antibiotics and cough medicine and everything else and sent me on my way. But at that point, I'd take it. It sounded great compared to what could have been in the really sick people waiting room. So I learned from that that apparently I do have a tipping point of an illness that I couldn't ignore. And we have a very serious sin problem before God. And the symptoms are that we have sinned against a perfect God. We just talked about that when we raised our hands. Maybe you've been ignoring it, trying to distract yourself, and hoping it will go away. We need to reach a point where we go to the doctor and get diagnosed. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. There will come a time where we can't ignore that sickness any longer. The Bible says we will all face judgment one day. Whether or not we are religious, whether we believe it's coming or not, we will face judgment. But where exactly does that sin leave us before God? Well, let's look at the diagnosis. And I hate to break it to you, it's not that good. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's the diagnosis. We have all earned death from our sins. And not just death, but the Bible says an eternal death away from God. Just let that sink in a second. Away from God forever away from anything good that He created. A place without relationships, without laughter, without the beauty of nature, without love, forever and ever and ever. And that's the seriousness of our sin problem that I talked about up there. And as I reflected back on the miracles recorded by John that we talked about in this series, Part of what made these miracles great was the size of the problems that they were overcoming. They were big enough that only God could have overcome them. Turning water into wine, giving a blind man sight, making the lame walk, making a man walk on water, feeding 5,000 really hungry people with just five loaves of bread and two fish, and even raising Lazarus back from the dead after he was after he had died. The seriousness of these problems was so great that overcoming them were great miracles. They pointed to the fact that only God could have done them. They validated the ministry of Jesus. That He really was God in the flesh. But today's message is called The Greatest Miracle because Jesus had to overcome the greatest problem ever. The problem that our sin deserves an eternity of death. I was thinking about Jesus coming. It's kind of like a fireman. Thinking about that. I used to live right by a fire station, so I heard them whizzing by all the time. But wouldn't it be silly if a fire truck 
in the middle of the day, decided there was an emergency where there wasn't one, and they turned on the siren in the firehouse, and it started going around and buzzing, and people started flying down the pole and got in the truck, and they turned on the sirens and stopped traffic or running through stoplights, and they got to a building where there was no emergency and ran inside and started hauling people out and kicking people out of the building. That'd be pretty silly. No, a fireman, what they do is when there is an emergency, people call 911, and they call the fireman, and they have to run red lights and run down poles because there's a real emergency and because people need their help. And with Jesus, it was the same way. When Jesus entered the world, it was because we were stuck in that great sin problem. Actually, that's the very reason He came. In John 1.29, John the Baptist proclaimed this when he saw Jesus coming. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus says about Himself in John 3.17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. We were judged by the laws before He came. We didn't need Him for that. But we had no way to pay for our sins that had an eternal punishment. Like we talked about, the wages of those sins was death. The prophet Isaiah spoke of Jesus long before He was ever alive. In his book, chapter 53, verse 5 and 6, it says that He was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging, His punishment beating, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him, on Jesus. Bill Crowder said it like this, Death was not Jesus' penalty, it was His destiny. It was not His lot in life, it was His mission. It was not His unavoidable fate, it was His purpose statement for coming to earth that first Christmas. That's the second point up there. Jesus entered the world to take away the sin of the world. That's why He came. Let's look at the crucifixion in John. If we still have a hand in John there. We're going to look at chapter 19. I think it's the original page I gave you in your 1075 there somewhere. Starting in verse 16. This is the account of when Jesus died for our sins. Verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went to the place of the skull, in which Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Jump to John 19, verse 28. It says, Later, knowing that all was now completed, so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so he soaked, they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk and a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished! With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We 
talked about that the reason Jesus came was to give himself as a payment for the sin of the world. It says right here that when he died, he gave up his spirit. He gave it up to pay for our sin. Jump to verse 41. It says that the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So three days later, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb where they had laid Jesus and finds it empty. Skip to the next chapter, chapter 20, verse 11. It says, But Mary stood outside the tomb crying, As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, she told them, and she told them the things that he had said to her. And the third point is that we have hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow. Jesus died to take away the sin of the world. And three days later, He rose again, defeating death, defeating sin, taking the punishment for our sins. But there was only that despair we talked about. There can now be a great hope and the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the sins of the world were defeated that first Easter morning when Jesus rose triumphant. That is why we have a great hope in the resurrection. Jesus has the victory. He fully satisfied the death sentence for our sin on the cross, and God's great love for us shone through as He paid the greatest price He could. So that begs the question, well, does everybody just go to heaven then, if Jesus died? Let's look back at the verse we started with, chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. And John there. It says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So no, not everybody goes to heaven. The life comes in believing. It doesn't say that we have a true, eternal life until we believe in Jesus Christ and and that the resurrection paid the price for our sins. That's the last point this morning. We are personally saved from our sin and we put our trust 
in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, though, we do not share in that victory until we believe it, until we trust in that victory. Just like when I was sick, going to the doctor didn't cure me. Knowing that I was sick didn't cure me. Taking the medicine the doctor gave me made me better. Just having the medicine in my hand wasn't enough. I had to make a choice to actually take the medicine and do what he told me to get better. And so it is with the gift of eternal life that Jesus offers. Knowing about it is not enough. Being able to tell the story of the resurrection is not enough. Going to church is not enough. But believing in Jesus to take away your sins is when eternal life happens. I told you that as a teenager, I was worried about what would happen to me when I died. I had a sin problem, and I was afraid that I would go to hell. And looking at the scriptures today, my fears were completely justified. I was on my way to hell for my sins. There was a time when I heard that Jesus died for the sin of the world. I went to a teen conference with a church that my family had been going to. And I'd heard that Jesus had died. Not only that, but that He died for me. He rose again to conquer my sins. And I made a choice that day to no longer trust in doing more good things and bad things to try to get to heaven. That seemed to be getting on shaky ground anyway. But I made a choice to put my trust in Jesus Christ to go to heaven. I simply prayed that I believed that Jesus really came to earth as a man. That he really did die on a cross and rise again from the dead three days later and was on this earth. And that he had to do that because of my sins and that I deserved to go to hell and spend an eternity away from God. And I told God that I would trust him to get me to heaven and not my own good works. That was a prayer. I said, Amen. And that was it. I didn't have to try harder to get to heaven. I didn't have to go to more church services. I didn't have to read the Bible more. The work was done that day in the victory of the resurrection. How about you? Is there a specific time that you prayed to put your trust in Jesus Christ? Or are you like I was, still trying to get yourself to heaven by doing good things? John 1.12 says this, Yet to all who received Him, talking of Jesus, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. That's all it takes. Believing Him and receiving the gift of eternal life that Jesus bought for you on the cross. You can be done with the guilt of your sins, You don't have to fear what happens to you when you die. And you can replace that with the hope of the resurrection. And I urge you to settle this today. In Acts 17.30, it says, Therefore, having overlooked times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent 
God is declaring now that you should repent. It's a complex word, but it just means to change your mind. To change your mind about your sin, to change your mind about Jesus, and to put your trust in Jesus Christ to get you to heaven. That's all you have to do. Um, If everyone could just bow their head for a minute. All it takes is that one prayer to get you to heaven, to have an eternal relationship with God. If that expresses something you'd like to do today, if that's speaking to you, if God is tugging at your heart to respond to Him, I'm just going to pray something like I did when I was a teenager. And I urge you to just pray something similar in your own words to God. And it can be settled today. You can spend an eternity with God in heaven. You can accept that gift that He gave. So you could just repeat after me in your heart if it's something you want to do. God, I know that you're a, you're a perfect God and that you set standards of how we should live. And I know that I've fallen short of them, that I've sinned against you, that I've done things that don't make you happy and that grieve you. And I know that because of my sin, I deserve death. I deserve an eternity away from you. And that is why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. And I accept that free gift that you offer of eternal life. I accept that gift you gave and want a relationship with you. Amen. You can look back up. Uh, I'll just share one verse. If you pray that today, Jesus says this in John 5.24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent, who has sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed from death to life. That's it. It's finished. You've crossed from death into life, and you'll spend an eternity with God in heaven. Hallelujah. It's the best news. That's the greatest miracle. And if you didn't pray today, and it's on your heart, I urge you to settle it today. Consider these verses shared today. Consider God's heart on sin. Consider His love for you. And consider the gift that Jesus Christ has offered you to accept. And even just take a minute tonight as you go to bed to settle that forever. I just have one more little request before we go. Um, If that is something you prayed today with me or something similar, if you'd, um, there's a little checkbox on the back of our um, comment cards here. If you just check that today I prayed to receive Christ or recommitted my life to Christ, and just put some comments, even if you've been a regular attender for a while, just so um, we're able to pray for you and I just encourage you and I'd like to know that. Um, let's pray and we'll finish our time. God, we thank you for today. We just thank you for the victory that you have. God, our problem, our sin, 
created the need for you to come to earth in the first place. Without that, it's like a fire truck running across town for no reason. God, you came to the earth because we deserved an eternal death. And we just thank you today that the greatest miracle is the greatest victory that you gained, that you bought, that you bought us as your own. We just thank you so much for that, God. Help us live in the reality of that this week and live lives honoring to you just as an act of worship because you gave up everything for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, thank you for joining us. We will uh, see you for Worship Night Wednesday and again next week.